All right, are we there? Yeah, we doing this? Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're all here. Howdy. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger from dansfish.com. And we do this every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Have for, I don't know, what, a year and a half now? Something like that. 81 straight episodes pretty much every week. So we are back. We'll be back next week unless, you know, something horrible happens. <laughs> anyway, glad you're all here. Thanks for being here. Let me tell you what we're going to do tonight. Um, a couple different things. The first thing is I'm going to answer some questions I've been getting. Um, I'm doing a series right now on how I uh, quarantine and medicate newly imported fish. And I'm just going day by day and showing the process. It's not a super popular series. Like it's not getting thousands of views or anything. It's rough and raw. It's just me and the camera, no special lighting or anything. But I think the information's good for those that are interested in it. And I don't think it's a topic that's got enough information out there. So I've got a lot of questions coming in from that, even though not a ton of people are watching it, the ones that are really want to know more. So I'm going to answer a few of those questions here because some of them I think um, lots of other people would like to know the answers to as well, and not just the post, the person that posted the question on the comments. So, uh, we'll do a little bit of that. And also Jonathan's been super busy. My technical partner at getgills.com, a great place to buy and sell fish. Um, and so we've, we've got some awesome updates to show you. So let's start there. The first thing is notes are done. You can now leave a note for the seller when you purchase something on getgills.com, which is awesome. Um, so let me jump right in and show you that. Um, oh, I would be amiss if I didn't welcome my mods. Candy Overholes made it. Hey, Candy, great to see you. It was good to see you and Caleb and, uh, and Stacy on Monday. Um, I got to visit with Candy and her family on Monday a little bit. We took the fish the killifish and stuff that you're seeing in the uh, kind of quarantine video series. Um, picked them up from the airport, went to Candy's house, and Caleb got to unbox them. A uh, little private unboxing with him, which was fun. And I got to see the crested gecko and everything going on with her aquariums and her family. So that was awesome to see you. 54 Punchy, the art of fish keeping. I like it. I like it. It goes with the new artist thing. Glad to have you here. Thanks for being here. Lumpy Dog, so good to see you. Thanks, Jeff, for being here. Lumpy Dog is the original mod, my first mod ever. And uh, thanks so much. And I don't know if Bob's here yet. I don't see him on the screen. But if he's not, Bob will see you soon, probably. Anyway, mods, thanks for everything you do. Let's get to um, just real quick. I'm really excited to show you the Get Gills stuff. So finally, you've been asking for it. We finally have it to where if you purchase an item, let's say I want to buy, I don't know, this blonde koi guppy. I added it to my cart. I'm going to go check out. Okay, I'm going to ship it. Review the order. I can now leave a note here for the seller. So I can say, um, please send me, I don't know, tracking information. when they are mailed or something like that. Or maybe, um, I don't know, I am looking for extra females 
if you have any. Things like that, right? You can leave a note, which is awesome. So when you send that, that will be attached to the order form. The seller will see it and should, you know, know what you want and be able to, to communicate with you. Um, also, you'll get an automatic email notification that has the note on it as part of your records when you buy something and the seller will get an email with the note on it as well. So we're trying to make that communication happen. We, we know you guys have wanted it for a while. And so we, we finally got to that point on the to-do list. Some other things that we did is we improved search. So last week, if I searched Koi, the only thing that would show up was some Koi angelfish because it was in the title of the posting under the common name field or the scientific name field. What I mean by that is there's these uh, different fields where you can put stuff you can put in the common name, like on water hyacinth, you can put in um, a listing and a common name. And if you want it, there's a third field, you can put a scientific name. Search only search those before, but now Jonathan's expanded that. So if I say Koi, now we see all the things that have Koi in it, even if it's not in the title like this, this is the common name. This is the, I guess, uh, I'm sorry, this is the title of the posting, the common name, and the scientific name. Koi is in none of those, but it's still showing up because it's a Koi. Um, so he expanded the search to, to make it work better. So thank you, Jonathan, for doing that. That was something that some folks had brought up, I think, last week, and we got that done. We also made it so things paginate a little more. So instead of these long, endless lists, there's some pagination to make it a little easier to navigate. Um, for anyone that was having trouble resetting your password, we found a bug and we fixed it. So if you're like, why is my password not resetting? Um, what's going on? It should work now. So if you got locked out or something or just couldn't figure out how to get back in, there was this kind of rare bug. It wasn't affecting everyone, just a few people um, that we found and fixed. So give it another whirl. If you're still having trouble, please email me. Dan at Dan, uh, Dan at getgills.com and we'll, we'll help you out. Um, let's see, we added some video links to make it so that people uh, can understand better what to do when they're trying to post fish uh, at checkout. And then the last thing, not the last thing, but one of the things that's important is we we're making notifications better. So it used to be that if you went to checkout, and your card was declined or something, you would just get an error and it wouldn't tell you what happened. We're trying to make it so that if you're going to check out and your card is declined, you get a notice that says there's an issue with the card. So you have more specific information of what's going wrong so you know how to better fix it. And that's just an example. There's there's many other things too that, that we're trying to notify people of. Um, so instead of just like an Server error 500, whatever that means, right? Uh, you get actual information so you can proceed more intelligently and know how to how to continue. Um, <laughs> there was this weird bug that was destroying file names every time you'd save the 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 name of, of the 
the logo, every time the logo was saved, it would add extensions to it. And we were getting some logo names that we found that were just like super long, so long that eventually the system was like, that's too long. We're not going to accept that. So we fixed that. It's amazing. Like all the little things you find when you create a website um, that that has multiple functionality. There's so many variables, but that's fixed now. And again, most of these things are small. Most of these things weren't affecting the majority of people. There's just a few people that these would affect. Um, and then there's another really cool thing I think that I want to show you, and this is going to help with shipping. So now it gives you a little bit of shipping information. This has been a, a common comment we've gotten, like, how do I know how much is shipping going to be? You don't know for sure until you go to checkout because each seller sets their own distinct shipping parameters and the website doesn't know what those are all going to be until everything's in the cart and you're at checkout. It just doesn't know the information until you're done shopping. But what we can do is this. If you click on an item, now down here it says shipping starts at $14.95 for up to two of these. So for $14.95, you can get up to two pairs of these because this item is a pair. Okay, so let's show you another example. Um, so it's not the end all be all of the shipping costs because we won't know that for sure till you check out, but it tells you at least a starting point. Um, let's find the next one here. Here we go. Like how much, if I wanna buy this Red Empress cichlid, how much will it cost to ship? I don't know for sure, but it starts at $0 for up to zero of these. That's not a good example. That has zero because there's a, a free shipping option for local pickup. So let's try to find another one. Um, like there are a few things like that where, no, it doesn't cost anything for local pickup. This is another one. This one starts at $0 for up to a hundred of these. And this one might qualify for free shipping. So if you reach the minimum, this one will qualify for free shipping. Um, anyway, I'm not finding the best examples here, am I? <laughs> Let's try one more, just one more. Okay. Yes, here we go. So this one dry goods shipping starts at $4.99 for up to a hundred of these and it may qualify for free shipping at checkout. So it, it's not, again, it's not conclusive because it can't be until you're completely done shopping and it knows all the variables, but it at least is gonna give you an idea of where the shipping is gonna start and uh, you know how many roughly you can ship for that amount. Now the ones that are zero, that's for local pickup, but they probably also have two or three options for mailing, which, you know, could be $20, $50, depending on the mode of shipping. So, um, it, but it tells you at least an idea. All right. So hopefully that's uh, going to be useful for users of GetGills. Thanks for everyone that gives us feedback. It's invaluable. A lot of you that have given feedback are our senior feedback in these changes we're making. So, so you know how seriously we take it. If you're not seeing it, either we just haven't gotten to it yet. We have a long list of stuff we have to do on the site or we've considered it and just decided to go a different direction. That does happen, but it's always nice to have the feedback and the suggestions because it makes us understand 
what it's like for you guys when you're using it and and allows us to better uh, know how to make the site work as, as well as possible. So anyway, that's what was going on. Um, let me get to a few questions and comments and then I'll get to the main thing tonight that I'm going to do. Bef- Actually, scratch that. Let me let me get to the let me get to the questions and comments for the topic tonight. I'll answer those and then we'll get to your questions and comments in the chat. Let's let's just do that as per usual. So here's here's some questions that I've got um, in comments on the videos recently. The first one is, do you feed during the medication period? So yes and no. My medication period is two weeks. The first week I'm treating for mainly for bacterial infections on newly imported fish. The second week I'm treating mainly for internal parasites. So that first week they're in a bear tank. There's no filtration because the medicines I use to kill bacteria will also kill the beneficial bacteria in a filter and, um, and destroy the biological system. So there's no filtration in those tanks or anything. So no, I do not feed fish during the first few days of quarantine while they're in those bare quarantine tanks without filtration. Um, the reason is fish do a lot better going without food than they do with the buildup of ammonia and nitrite. And if I feed, I risk producing ammonia and nitrite in that very bare non-bioactive system in the quarantine system that they're in. Now there is a caveat to this. I will feed fish if they come in and they look super skinny. Like there are times, there are species I almost always know when I order them that I'm going to have to feed them pretty much straight away. Like the Bararis species, that would be like the chili Razabora, those little guys, that's in the Bararis genus. They often come in just super skinny and emaciated. And so for them, I sometimes am like, ooh, for these guys, food's more important than medicine right now. And so I'll play that by ear. But in the majority of cases, with the vast majority of species, they, they come in and they look fat and um, fairly healthy. And I, I mean, healthy, but they're stressed is what I mean. But they don't look super emaciated. The bellies aren't super pinched and things like that. Um, then I will go ahead and hold off feeding until they've been through the antibiotic period, just because ammonia is much more deadly than lack of food. Now, uh, something I should say is that fish have very different, very different uh, food needs than us humans. The first thing is their ectotherm. So they get their warmth from their environment, like a lizard or cold-blooded animal. So they aren't burning a bunch of fuel to stay warm like you and I are. We have to eat fairly constantly or we can't keep our body temperature regulated. That takes a ton of energy, which requires a ton of food. Fish don't have that issue. Um, So they don't need nearly as much food as frequently as we do. The other reason why we can do that with fish. And and I'm not suggesting we don't feed our fish regularly. I'm just saying in special circumstances, like when we're medicating them. Um, The other reason is they aren't fighting gravity. We take a lot of energy just trying to fight against gravity when we walk around or stand up or, you know, unless we're laying prone and still, 
Well, even then when we're breathing, we're fighting gravity, right? Um, fish don't have that issue. They're neutrally buoyant. More, most species are. They have that swim bladder. And so they don't take that energy to fight gravity. They're, they just float around at will pretty much. So those are two major energy saving devices that fish have, which prevents them from having the caloric intake needs that you and I face. So you and I don't eat for 24 hours. We're super hungry, right? Fish don't eat for 24 hours. It's really nothing to them unless they're really small and in a high growth period or something's going on. In general, they don't need to eat nearly as much as you and I. And in the wild, fish that eat high energy foods, I'm thinking predators mainly, they usually don't eat every day. They eat whenever they can find food. That might be every few days. Um, fish that do eat constantly are often eating very low foods with very low uh, caloric value. Like they'll eat detritus. They'll eat algaes. They'll eat, I mean, if they find it, a worm or a copepod or an insect, that's like, that's like, that's amazing for them, right? That's a huge boon. But usually it's this really low energy stuff that they're just nibbling at kind of all day long. So I don't like not feeding fish. But in, in the circumstance of quarantine and medicating and um, clearing them out, basically, to get them ready to move into a, a, a permanent home, I, I do find that it helps. And... Um, and in the sterile environments that I use to quarantine fish in, because of the medicines I use, um, then, then I don't feed. Now, as soon as – so they come in Monday generally, and they don't feed until Saturday. Once Saturday comes, they're done with the antibiotics, and I move them into a 75-gallon tank that has plants in it and filters and all that stuff, and, and then I feed them and uh, start with internal parasite medicines. And, and that'll all be coming in this whole series we're doing on how to medicate newly imported fish. So I've tried it many ways, and this is the way that seems to work best for me anyway. So that's why I do it that way. Question number two, this is a little off topic from medicating. Are African butterfly cichlids good tank mates for German rams? And my answer to that is yes and no. Um, the thing is that I think that they would be fine in a big enough tank because there's a big enough footprint, but they're going to take the same niches as the rams. And so unless it's a big tank with several of those niches, you might get some competition. But besides that, I think they might be okay. I think they could take the warmer temperatures. In fact, I know they can. I've seen them kept long periods at, you know, 82 to 84 degrees. Um, so yeah, it, it could be done. Just be aware they're going to compete for the same niches. Um, okay, that might be the only one that was asked that wasn't about the medication and quarantine and all that. Are any species exempt from the quarantine meds due to sensitivity or intolerance? Not really. Um, some I go back and forth on a couple things. One is um, like Corridor's catfish. There are times when I'm like, oh, I'm going to have the salt. I'm going to only put half the salt in I normally do because quarries are sensitive to salt. And that's so ingrained in me that that's my default. 
And then other times I'm like, that's ridiculous. And I put in the normal dose of salt. And in both ways seem to work just fine. Um, with the, there are fish that are supposedly sensitive to the uh, external parasite medicines, to Hikari Ikex or to uh, Fritz Mardell. Um, I forget what theirs is called. But, you know, those general ick medicines that treat with formalin. Um, silverfish and tetras are supposed to be a little more sensitive. But I'm already, since I'm just prophylactically treating, I'm already dosing at the low dose, a fairly low dose. So I treat all the tetras and silverfish and stuff the same as I do everything else. I honestly don't know if corridors are actually sensitive to salt. I know that's what we hear over and over and over, but I wonder if what actually happens is people put salt that isn't dissolved into a tank with Corydoras and the Corydoras being a bottom dwelling species get into that salt and then have problems. That will happen. If you put salt in, in, an, in an aquarium and it's not fully dissolved and dispersed, you'll get pockets of high concentrations of salt and that that can knock out quarries. I've seen it knock out bottom dwelling gobies. Um, over the years, I've seen people do this and, and really kill fish. So I wonder if when we hear that the corridors are sensitive to salt, if what we're actually hearing is salt can hurt corridors if it's not properly used. I don't know if they're actually sensitive to it or not, because I've I've used it at full potency without problems. And sometimes I use it at half potency just because it's so ingrained in me from hearing that and reading that over the years that I just do it. I don't know. What are the benefits of using meds for ick and not raising the temperature with salt to kill it off? Um, so I like using medicines for ick instead of temperature. You can raise temperature super high to kill ick. Uh, that's, I think that's reasonably well documented and not just hobbyist lore. However, Raising the temperature super high is very stressful to fish. It's very stressful to their environment and it, it severely depletes oxygen out of the water. And you get these massive uh, bacterial booms that, that suck up massive amounts of oxygen. So I don't prefer the high temperature method because I find it super stressful to fish and their environment. Um, I would rather just use medicine because then I can keep everything the same. And if I'm using a medicine that's formalin based, I've never had that hurt anything. I've never seen that hurt fish or shrimp or inverts or plants. So yes, you can raise the temperature to kill ick and uh, you could do it that way, but I just don't do it because I think it's easier on the fish in their environment to not do it. Um, I got four more questions and then we'll get to your guys' questions and comments in the chat. Do you feed any, medi any medicated foods? I don't. And it's not because I have anything against them. It's just that, um, it's just that I don't. <laughs> I have other medicines that I can dose the water column with that will be absorbed into the fish. And so I tend to rely on those. If all those failed and I needed to get a medicine into a fish that wasn't naturally absorbed through their gills and skin, then I would feed a medicated food so I could get it into their gut. See, say they have an infection in their gut. And so some medicines won't work because they aren't absorbed into the gut. 
then maybe I would. But so far, um, I haven't really found the need to do that because of my arsenal of medicine that, that is naturally absorbed into the skin. Well, I'll give you a caveat on that. There have been three or four times when I fed medicated food in the last, that I can remember in the last four or five years. So I, I guess I should say I do occasionally, but it's kind of the last resort thing. And the main reason for that is when I dose the water column, I know the concentration that's going in there. When I feed medicated food to fish, if they eat one flake or one pellet, that's a certain dose. If they eat 10 flakes or 10 pellets, that's a much higher dose. And it's much harder for me to, to know how much that fish is going to eat. Unless it's in a tank all by itself, right? And then I put one flake or one pellet at a time. But even then, I'm not sure how much medicine's in a single flake or single pellet. So that's kind of why I stay away from that. But there have been a few occasions now that I think about it where, yes, I have fed medicated food um, when the other things that I can control better uh, didn't work. And I have nothing against medicated food, by the way. Um, I think it's a great tool to have. It's just not my go-to, but, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The, Rachel O'Leary did this great series of videos when Captain Cranky Pants, her Oscar that, I don't know, has she had it 10 years, a dozen years, something like that. She's had this Oscar for a long time, um, got some kind of internal infection and um, just wasn't responding to anything. She ended up making a medicated food using Rapashi and I think nitrofurazone, if I remember right. Check out the series. I don't remember it completely. Um, and that's what did the trick. So in that case, that saved Captain Cranky Pants. And um, so there's definitely a place for it. I'm, I'm not against it. Question, do you treat for internal parasites or just bacteria and external parasites? So, yeah, I do. But during the first week, I just treat for bacterial infections and external parasites because those combinations don't have conflicts. Like if I put them together, from what I can tell from my experience using them, they don't harm the fish. I don't have the same experience using internal parasite medicines. And so the first week I, I do the external parasites and antibiotics. The next week I do internal parasites and some additional external parasite medicines, just because I'm afraid of conflicts. I'm afraid of mixing too many medicines together and harming the fish. And I don't know if they would or would not hurt the fish. I just don't want to be the one to experiment with it and, and end up killing all my fish. I don't have enough knowledge to know to what extent I can mix things. So I I err on the side of caution and not mixing lots of medicines together. So I do treat both. It's just one during one period and one during another. Someone said, um, thanks for the info, but I still use the trio recommended by Corey from Aquarium Co-op. My response to that is that's great. If that works for you, I think that's awesome. And by the way, the way I medicate, I'm, I'm talking about a, a facility that's a commercial facility that imports fish regularly, gets new fish in all the time, has a whole battery of quarantine tanks to use. So I can medicate differently than maybe your average hobbyist who has just a couple of aquariums at home and maybe no quarantine tanks. If I didn't have any quarantine tanks, I would not be using those antibiotics. I would not be using canamycin and nitrofurazone because they would destroy, absolutely destroy uh, my nitrifying uh, chain of bacteria. So 
Yeah, I think that the Aquarium Co-op Trio has a lot of uses in a lot of cases. And I, I have nothing against it. And if it works for you, keep using it. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to convince anyone of how to do anything. I'm just trying to show you what I do. And hopefully that'll help someone who hasn't yet found the thing that works for them. And they can pick a little from this and a little from that and read and do research and, and figure out what works for them. So yeah, if the, if the trio works for you, that's a general cure, um, uh, erythromycin and um, some kind of ick medicine, ick X, or I think he switched to Mardell recently because of the same reason I did just cost. Um, great. Use it. The, the difference is this. Erythromycin treats gram-positive bacteria, not gram-negative. So it treats, um, if I had streptococcus, I would use erythromycin because that's a gram-positive bacteria. And that's a fairly common one in the aquarium hobby. If I had um, an eye issue, like a cloudy eye or something like that, my go-to would probably be erythromycin because commonly that's a surface thing and the erythromycin can, can get that. And, and if it didn't work, then I would probably try canamycin and nitrofurazone. Um, however, the reason my go-to is canamycin and nitrofurazone is because I have the setup to do it. And the majority, by far, the majority of bacterial infections in aquarium fish are Aeromonas and columnaris. And this isn't me saying this, and this isn't something I got from Facebook. There are a lot of research uh, papers written on this in peer-reviewed journals. There's a lot of articles. Um, I feel like this is known that uh, Aeromonas and columnaris are, in general, the most widespread bacterial pathogens that, we, uh, that our fish struggle against in captivity. And so because of that, I just choose canamycin and nitrofurazone because it's very effective against those two bacterias. They're both gram-negative bacterias, and uh, the combination is, is very effective against them. So that's why I do it. But it's not for everyone, and it's not the only way to do it. And if something else works for you, go for it. Um, this isn't about who's right and who's wrong. This is about here's how I do it. If something here is useful, take it and use it. And if not, Throw it away, like do what works for you. Do you have any success treating dropsy? This is the last question before I get to your guys' uh, questions and comments in the chat. Do you have any success treating dropsy with canamycin? I myself have never had any success treating dropsy. However, I do know a few other people who have had some success occasionally, and they use a, a combination of canamycin and I believe nitrofurazone, if I'm remembering right. They're few and far between. Um, the reason is this dropsy is not a disease. It's a symptom of a disease. It's that massive swelling of the body. And basically what that swelling indicates is pretty severe organ failure in most instances. So by the time your major organs are failing, it's pretty hard to do any kind of treatment that's going to reverse that. Occasionally, you might get lucky and it's a bacterial infection that's just inflamed something a lot, not destroyed it. And then if you treat that, maybe you can get it down. But in general, by the time that's happening, that's just an indication that vital organs in the fish are actually failing. Um, they're filling with water 
organs are swelling up. There's all kinds of issues with that dropsy indicates. So I've never had a fish in my personal collection or any stores I worked at or wholesalers or businesses that had dropsy ever recover. But I know a few people that occasionally have had a fish recover from that. So, um, yeah, that's those are kind of the ones that popped out that uh, that I thought were probably stuff that would help other people. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right. We're at 105. No way. That's good for this little channel. Our record, I think, is 121. Bob, what was it? Uh, by the way, welcome, Bob. Glad you made it. 121, 125, something like that. So 104, 105, that's good for us. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind indulging me, if we could do a little like spike and get more people here, share it out, do a like thing. I, I would love it if we could break 125. That'd be so cool just to set a new record. Um, it, there's no, no need to do it, but if you want to do it, I'm going to count back from three. And we can do it right now. Okay, three, two, one, like spike. All right, we'll see if that did anything. All right, we're going to get to your questions and comments in the chat right now. For those that are new or or don't know quite how we roll here, I ignore most of the chat because most of the chat is people talking among themselves and having a good time. And I want you to be able to do that. I will get to things that highlight for me. So if you have a question or comment that you want me to respond to, instead of you're just chatting with your friend or having a good time, then if you would make it highlight, type the at symbol, and then immediately start typing dance fish, a little box should pop up with dance fish in it. If you click that, then it turns bright. Let me show you what I see when you do that. When you do that, this happens. Um, Wait, is it not showing for you guys? Yeah, these these bright orange uh, boxes pop up and it makes it really, really easy for me to get to your your questions and comments as opposed to uh, getting lost in just the the friendly banter going back and forth. Our like spike got us up to 107. That's not too bad. We got two more. Maybe it'll climb. Maybe it'll climb. Um, it's, It's not about the numbers, really, but. But it's fun sometimes. So anyway, if I'm ignoring you, it's just because it's not highlighting for me. Um, In which case, I apologize. If you posted a couple times and I'm still not responding, it's honestly not me trying to ignore you. It's it's just that I'm not seeing it. In that case, would you call a mod's attention to it and they'll get they'll get a hold of me. They know how to make it flash in front of my face every now and then. Also, for those that have never done this live on, on this side of the camera, YouTube's chat is pretty bad. It jumps a ton. And so um, so it, sometimes I just don't see stuff because it skips and then I can't get back and see it. So I'm not ignoring you on purpose is what I'm trying to see. Hey, we got we got a super chat. That's awesome. The fish tank barn throwing down four bucks and a cup of we'll call it coffee coming out at me there. Thanks so much, Fish Tank Barn. Always appreciated. Never required, but makes the wife super happy. All right, let's see what I missed here. Jones NW. Wait, I'm not seeing everything. See, it's already done it where I can't see everything. So if you left uh, a previous comment or question that you want me to get to and and I just haven't got to it, just repost it. But I'm at Jones NW saying, 
Hey Dan, what's your choice of food for feeding new fry, newly hatched BBS or something else? Newly hatched BBS in the case where the fry is big enough to take it. So I'll live bear fry pretty much. Most killifish, most mouth brooding bettas, the vast majority of cichlids, um, lots of pseudomugils, so blue eye rainbow fish, not the larger ones, not not the Milanotanias and, and glossoseps or glossolepis or, and all those, but the little guys oddly have big fry. Rice fish, um, those all, and many others, a lot of the catfish, corridors and things, um, have fry that are big enough to eat baby brine shrimp. And when they are, that's what I like to use. Baby brine shrimp for me are simple to hatch. So I have a reliable supply constantly and I don't run out. They're highly nutritious. The fry seem to just grow on them super quickly and their movement, how they kind of bounce around in the water column just triggers their feeding response very strongly. So I like that. Now, that being said, when I'm breeding a very small, a fish that has very small fry that can't eat newly hatched brine shrimp at first, then it's different. Then I go for uh, paramecium, rotifers, or my favorite trick is just dump them in a scud culture. Um, <laughs> a lot of times, if you have like a, a live food culture going and you put the little fish in there, there's so much stuff in there that they can just pick on it and they grow super fast that way. Um, Something else that does work, though, is really fine powdered foods. I use um, Golden Pearls as the brand, and it's tiny. It's 5 to 50 microns is the size I use for newly hatched tiny little fry. Um, it's almost like a super fine dust when you feed that. And then they have larger sizes for, you know, as you grow the fish up or even adult fish. I think they top out at like 800 microns, which is pretty good size. Um, so that works well for species that don't have to have like a live jerking moving item to cue in on. Um, there are highly predatory fish, like I'm thinking South American leaf fish that just won't eat anything that isn't alive and bouncing around. Um, yeah. So really fine powdered foods can feed a lot of fish and for surface feeding fish, like little baby rainbows, you just put a tiny bit on top and it stays on the surface. Um, for bottom midwater feeding fish, you can mix it up in a vial and feed it. I would recommend um, watching the video that I did when I toured Chase's fish room. Um, he breeds a lot of tetras, a lot of kerosens, with tiny, tiny little baby, baby fry that cannot even dream of eating baby brine shrimp to start. And he goes over in detail his entire feeding method. So that might be something to check out if you're trying to feed fry that can't take baby brine shrimp. But if they can, baby brine shrimp is the way to go in my experience in the way I keep fish. It's just more reliable. Cultures don't crash. Um, yeah, it just works well. It's easy, I guess. Chewy LTD, I would like to know if you are planning on doing species presentations on the recent... What is that, Chewy? Kilidia RHR? Um, you recently got in. I don't know what that is, Chewy. You're talking about the different killifish that I got in recently? Yes, I'll do species profiles on those. At least I plan on it. There's I'm 
I've got a lot of species in this room that I still need to get a profile done on. It's just a video. Making that video easily takes me six to eight hours and it's hard to find that kind of time. But yes, I plan on it. If that was the question um, about the killifish. Your name here, I love it. That is a great username. Dancefish, thanks for sharing how you import fish. I find it super helpful. Hey, you're welcome. I'm glad you like it. Not that I want to, but hopefully people that do might follow your method. Yeah, I mean, I I just like putting it out there. It's They aren't hugely popular videos, but I know that there's going to be a subset of hobbyists that will really value the information, and I'm glad to hear that you're one of them. You're welcome. I'm happy to do it. 104 watching, not bad. 104 watching, 46 likes, says Bob. Inquiring minds want to know why. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks for fighting the good fight. <laughs> this isn't highlighted, but it's funny. My crazy Oscars are rescaping the tank. Yep. <laughs> yep. Ginger Graves, they do that. Good to see you, Ginger, by the way. Dave Jenkins, if a fish is marked as wild... Would you increase your dose? Just curious. Nope. Nope. I do the same dose. Yeah. In fact, okay, let's talk about wild versus captive race fish real quick. In my experience, and I know a lot of people feel differently and that's fine, but just what I think, in my experience, wild fish come in a lot cleaner than captive raised fish. And by captive raised fish, I mean like farmed fish on, on big farms. Um, Wild fish might come in with something, but they usually only come in with like maybe one thing. Whereas the farmed fish, you have so many fish concentrated in such a small area and the stock is changing so much that just every pathogen known to the aquarium hobby exists in those environments. And, <laughs> you know, and so when you get fish that are farmed, um, often they're a lot dirtier, if you will, they take a, they take a lot more care and cleaning up to get ready and healthy than wild caught fish. In my experience, yes, wild caught fish can have things, but they don't have like the whole smorgasbord available. They're, they aren't coming in with that as much as fish that are just raised in those environments where there's so many fish coming from so many different places all the time. Now, I know there are farms that, that practice biosecurity and all these things, and, and that's good. But the majority of farms aren't like that. The majority of farms are a bunch of open ponds outside. Anything can get in. Things flood. They swim from pond to pond. There's a lot of mixing going on. There's a lot of stuff. So, um, and, and I'm not knocking farming fish. I mean, that, that's fine. I, I buy a lot of farmed fish. All I'm saying is that I would actually tend to treat farmed fish longer and more carefully than I would wild fish because wild fish tend to come in cleaner when we're talking about diseases and pathogens, parasites, things like that. Ginger Graves, best option for velvet. Okay. I have one. It's, it's a doozy, but it works really well for velvet. And some people are going to hate that. I'm going to say this, but for me, it's copper. Um, I haven't found anything that is pretty much guaranteed to wipe out velvet except copper. And that's why I'm saying that. Now, be aware, copper, like any medicine, can harm your fish. If you don't use it in the right dosage, it can poison your fish. Um, copper will 
destroy any invertebrate, snail, shrimp, whatever. It'll pretty much kill it. And copper is super hard on plants. So I do use it, but it's just because velvet's so deadly and fast moving. And copper is the only thing I found to treat it reliably. If you are going to use copper, I would highly, highly recommend a bare quarantine tank. And by bare, I don't mean doesn't have hides in it or anything, but no like plants and inverts and stuff like that. Um, you can have like pipes for fish to hide in. And I like to use Easter grass um, for top cover for surface dwelling fish, things like that. Just kind of make it an artificial environment, I guess is what I'm saying. Don't feed while you're treating with it. And uh, that's the only way really to use copper, the best way I would say to use copper. It's a doozy of a medicine. And as you can say, with all these caveats, I'm saying I almost hesitate to recommend it, but it is the one I use if I ever see velvet because it's the only one I've found that treats velvet reliably. Now, if anyone here knows of a reliable treatment for velvet besides copper, would you please, please put it in a comment and highlight my name in it so I can see it because I would love to find one. I have read reports that some of the bendazole drugs might, and that's a might, uh, might be effectual against copper, but the the study I read about the study, the, the Aquarist experience, the write-up of their experience in that situation ended with the, the words, this needs more study. Like they had some success. They were thinking it might've been the bendazole that they were using. And I don't remember which bendazole or bendazine or which of that family uh, they were using, but there might be something there. No one knows for sure. It's just something that that's been explored a little bit. The surface has been scraped. But yes, if anyone here knows a good treatment for copper besides for velvet besides copper, I would love to find one that I could use instead of copper. And also, I think I might have the last copper. I've been hoarding it because um, the chelated copper that we use, like in copper safe and stuff, that's no longer allowed to be done. So I literally bought Gemco out of copper safe. Um, I don't know how much longer you're going to be able to find and use copper. So it's, it's a, <laughs> oh, for a guy that likes killifish and wild type bettas and stuff, not the idea of not being able to use chelated copper to treat velvet scares the heck out of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. All right. Pernell Marshall, what is your opinion on Melifix and Pemafix? I really don't have an opinion on it because I just haven't used it. Um, I like how it smells. I love kind of that tea tree oil and stuff. I know some really good aquarists that use it and swear by it. I believe one of them is Ian Fuller, I think. I don't want to put words in Ian Fuller's mouth, but I think he's one of the ones um, that swears by it. And so some people find it really useful. I've never really delved into it really strongly. Um, how about you? Is it one that you find super useful? Uh, how do you use it? And it's in the back of my mind all the time, but I guess like when I was figuring out how to use medicines and things, Pemafix and Melifix were not around at that time. So it never really became part of my integrated arsenal. 
but I'm always open to it. I'm, I'm aware that the things I use are pretty strong medicines, which also makes them effective. Um, but I'm always aware that there might be something better that's less stressful to a fish's system, not as potent, things like that. So I'm always curious, but I don't have any experience with Pimafix and Melafix other than I really love how it smells. Oh no, it jumped. See, dang it. And by the way, I changed it to live chat instead of top chat. I didn't realize it was defaulting to top chat because uh, I heard that that might help with the jumping issue, but apparently it doesn't. Rico de Gallo, 99 cents. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for throwing down the money on the counter. Always appreciated, never required, but it does make my wife super, super happy. Okay, here we are. I found you. I found you, 54 Punchy. To be sure to, oh, be sure to do the at dance fish thing. That way he can ignore me. <laughs> I see it, 54 Punchy. I see it. Fancy Tales, real opinion on bacteria in a bottle. Dr. Tim's, the account I got, wants me to buy a lot of the one and only. Okay. So I think most of the bacteria in a bottle is probably doesn't work that well. I've, I've tried lots of it over the years. Um, as an inpatient kid, I tried it as a teenager, never worked. Um, however, I do think that Dr. Tim's stuff is the real deal. I'm not paid to say that. I'm not sponsored to say that. Um, but here's why I say that. Let me tell you the experience I had with his product. And then I'll tell you uh, what I think about him and his methods. So several years ago, um, I was heavy into discus and I had, uh, when I was doing discus, what I would do is when I sold a batch of discus, I would sterilize the tank and start from scratch. And I would fishless cycle those tanks with ammonia. Um, and it would take a month before I got the next batch in. That's how I would do it, just because I didn't want to spread disease and things like that. So one time I did that, I got all the tanks all cycled up and um, ordered the discus. And I think five days or so before the discus were to arrive, my tankless, my fishless cycle totally crashed. And I can't remember why. Um, I think it had something to do with I misdosed the ammonia or something. I, I can't remember, but I screwed it up and it, it crashed on me. Now I have a room full of non-cycle tanks and thousands of dollars, several boxes of discus going to arrive in a few days. I panicked, man. I was freaking out. So I had heard of Dr. Tim's stuff, but I dismissed it because none of the other stuff had worked. And I always thought it was like, you know, just a way to sell more products for companies, not necessarily something that was helpful, but I'd heard of his stuff and I, I read his stuff and jumped in and I went ahead and ordered it and I overnighted it, it man. It cost more. It costs so much in shipping. I think I paid like 85 bucks in shipping just to have it ordered overnighted something ridiculous. I used it and it worked. The tanks got up and cycled. I got the discus in. I used it for an additional five days after the discus arrived because I was paranoid, worked like a charm. I've never used a different, another product and had it work, but Dr. Tim's did in, in this case. And I tested and everything. I did all the stuff like the tests actually showed 
it working. They showed nitrates being produced. And I mean, I didn't have discus dye. <laughs> it's pretty hard to keep discus in a non-cycled system and have success. And they did fine. So anecdotally, that's why I think it works. Scientifically, why I think it works, I guess scientifically, um, the evidence I have for why I think it works better than other products is Dr. Tim isn't a fish product company that was like, how can we expand our product line? The way he got started is he went to University of California, Santa Barbara, as did I. Maybe that's one reason I like his stuff. I don't know. But I, I know the professor he studied under. Like, I, I literally know some of his department and the quality. They have, I think there's like nine Nobel laureates at UC Santa Barbara. I mean, it's a serious institution. Um, something like that. There's, it's high quality education. I know his department. I know his professor. And I read his paper. What happened was he was uh, basically as a, a graduate student studying bacteria and he stumbled across a new strain of bacteria, which or maybe more than one. I don't remember all the details. This was a few years ago. But anyway, he did this as a grad student in a lab under one of the best professors in the nation on this stuff, found new strains of bacteria realized they were the nitrifying bacteria that we needed for aquariums. And on the back of that discovery and that paper that he wrote and everything, decided, hey, this would be a good thing and started a company. So it came from labs and academic testing, rigorous academic uh, testing, like real scientific method and things, discovered something that he wasn't expecting to discover, kind of fine-tuned it, came up and was, and then decided to make a product as opposed to most companies, which are like, okay, we have all these things. How can we create another product to sell? And I'm not saying that that's evil or anything. It's just a different approach. And so his stuff is peer reviewed. It's gone through rigorous testing. It's all these things. And in my case, it works. So I think his stuff is the real deal. That being said, I think that there's absolutely no substitute for just getting a tank up and cycled naturally and gradually, I think it's more long-term success. I would, I mean, unless I was in a case like that where I had an emergency, I would never rely on a bottled product to cycle my tanks because there's something a lot different between a cycled tank, meaning there is nitrifying bacteria in it that converts ammonia versus a mature tank or a tank that's been around and up and stable for a long time, that's a stable ecosystem. There's a big difference. And until you get to stable ecosystem, all kinds of things can go wrong. Things are very unstable. And so I would never use the any of the bottled products as a substitute for getting to stable ecosystem, right? That makes sense. Hope that makes sense. Bearded Bob's Fish Room. Hey, Change from the top chat to live chat. Yep, I did. I did. A little late, but I did. 44 Mad Guy 1. Are you in top chat or live chat? Live chat. Yep. <laughs> little Mike Big L. Hi. Hey, good to see you. How long should I wait to put rib babies in a grow out tank? Rib. What's a rib baby? Little Mike Big L. I don't know what a rib baby is. Um, 
Could you? Oh, crib babies. I see it down below. Crib babies in a grow out tank. Totally up to you. Um, personally, I would just, if they're not in an environment where they're in danger, like if they're not in a community tank with a bunch of other fish that are preying on them and you're losing numbers, then I would, uh, I would wait. I let the parents do the hard work and I would wait till they were, I don't know, quarter inch or so before I moved them, maybe even half an inch. Um, just cause then the parents can do the hard work. It's a lot easier for them to do it than for me to do it. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm going with. I would go with quarter inch to half an inch unless they're in, in an environment where there's danger, like their, their numbers are, <laughs> there's high attrition or something like that. They're just getting eaten and picked off. Then I would move them. Uh, as soon as they were free swimming almost is when I would do it. As soon as I could, I would do it. I guess I wouldn't wait till they're free swimming. I would remove eggs and hatch them in um, like an egg tumbler or I would remove wrigglers or whatever. I mean, if they were in an environment where they were likely to get eaten by their fish and I wanted to save them. But besides that, yeah, I'd, I'd let the parents do the work. Pernell Marshall, hello. What is your opinion on Melifix and Pemafix? Covered it. The Cove, what would you treat a fuzzy spot on a guppy with? Oh, well, the first thing I would try to determine is if that was some kind of fungal infection like you see, like it almost looks like, hmm, how do I describe it? Like there's all these little, <laughs> how do I describe this? It looks almost like a dandelion head, right? With tons of little white straight lines coming out, right? All packed together. That's likely to be a, a fungal infection. So I, if it's that, then I would go with I'd have to look up the medicine to use. I don't, I don't run into a lot of fungal infections, but I would go to, I don't know, maybe AmericanAquariumProducts.com, is it? And look up their treatments for fungal infections. Um, that's how I actually do it. On the rare occasion, I run into that. If it looked like a bacterial infection, which is more like a slimy thing, yeah, it can puff up and stuff, but it doesn't look like a dandelion head that's white and real compact, then, um, then I would... My my go-to to start would be nitrofurazone and um, canamycin in a separate hospital tank. That's what I'd start with. If that did not work, then I'd switch to a gram-positive medicine, maybe erythromycin, maybe triple sulfa um, is what I would do for that. But I try to determine first, is it fungal or bacterial? If you look at it really closely, you can find some images on, online. They, they really do look quite different. Now, the bad part of that is <laughs> sometimes a fungal infection takes advantage of a bacterial infection and you actually end up having both. And that's a little trickier. Let's see here. Kevin's Aquatic shared out to fish tubers notifications. Hey, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Candy, thanks for linking my store on getgills.com. That's very nice of you. Steve's Aquatics. Will you be selling any Celestial Pearl Danios anytime soon? Have you bred or reared any? Um, I bred them, never reared them because it, it, they just, you know, just happened naturally in community tanks and the babies gradually got picked off. Um, I did look for CPDs this cycle, this week. I did, I did not find any at a price that tempted me. What I did find 
was a bunch of dwarf emerald rasboras, which are very similar to CPD. What is that? Selexthixthes. I can never say that genus name. And it's it's like erythromycon or something like that. It's almost like erythromycin. Um, those I found at a price that tempts me, and I'm planning on ordering a few hundred of those. But CPDs this week, I was actually looking for them because I was at Candy's house on Monday and I saw her CPD and I was just like, man, that's just gorgeous. I'm going to, I'm going to try again. Um, but I didn't find any at a price that, that worked. So not anytime soon. I'm basically opportunistic. I look for a good deal and when I find one, I, I go for it. Um, oh, Except for, our, I will say, I should say this, for everyone that's waiting on Peacock Gudgeons, and I know, I know there's a lot of you, they should arrive tomorrow. So I did get more. I ordered more anyway. I have the shipping notification, so they've been sent out. So if all goes well, I'll get them tomorrow. It'll still be two weeks before I can sell them. They have to go through quarantine and all that, but they are on their way. Marcia Mora. Do you think Corydoras paleotis would do well and breed outside during the summer? If I was to try a Corydor outside, it would be paleotis or Aeneas. Yes, I think that's a great choice. They have a wider temperature range than a lot of Corydoras. They're hardy. They're prolific. Yes, I think Corydoras paleotis is that and Aeneas are the two contenders for an experiment on outside just to see how it would go. Yes. Sakana Katana, any updates on the UPS scan issue? No. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. This will make a good story. So had a new one this week. Shipped out all the boxes like normal. A lot of people have emailed me and said they got their boxes okay, Sakana. So I know that they're still in route. So several people got their shipments today. So we dropped them off at the post office at about 3 o'clock. Then later that evening... I got some emails from folks saying, hey, tracking seems to be screwed up. I got on and tracked some packages and it said this. It said something like, dropped off at the Sheridan post office at three o'clock, delivered at 3.09, picked up at the post office. So basically the system said that they had been dropped off and then delivered within nine minutes, all on Monday, which closes the tracking loop. So I went into the post office and I was like, here's what's going on. Can we fix this? And they basically, basically it came down to no. The packages are still going. There shouldn't be any delays, but, um, but there's no way to track them because the tracking system's been closed for those packages because they were sent and delivered. So unfortunately, Sakana Katana, there is no way to track them. Um, but... And I clicked some notifications to see if they would email me notifications when they got to new destinations along their route, even though they couldn't track and they didn't. So I didn't get any notifications either. So my best advice is just please check regularly uh, tomorrow um, because they're probably going to arrive tomorrow if they didn't arrive today. This is a new one for me. I've been using the Postal Service, like most of us, for a long time. This is a new one. And what ended up happening, they told me what happened. They said, yes, here's what happened. We got them. 
we took them back to put them on the truck to get them to the new place. And when they were scanned into the truck, they pressed the wrong button. So instead of saying they'd been moved to the new destination or whatever, or been accepted or processed or whatever, it said they'd been delivered. So due to an employee's error, they just pressed the wrong button. I mean, it's hard to hate on them. I've pressed wrong buttons before, but this was a big one. So this happened to every box, the entire group of the, all the shipments for this week had that issue. So I wish I could help you, but there's literally nothing I can do and nothing they know how to do to reverse that delivery statement to make them trackable according to what, what our chat resulted in. So I'm real sorry, but please check frequently so they don't sit out in the sun. Um, by the way, I, I sent all of them with phase 22 cryo packs. Those are reusable. So if you got a box for me this week, hold on to that. That's a valuable little sucker. That thing costs almost five bucks with shipping to, to get them here to me. Um, and they're really great for keeping temperature in theory, really great. So the other thing I wanted to ask is anyone that got a box for me this week, if you checked the temperature of the box when it came in, what was it? That pack is supposed to keep the temperature in the low 70s, somewhere around there. Or at least that's where it changes phase is in the low 70s. So I'm trying to figure out if they are efficient and working well, if it's worth getting more of them, or if I just go with your standard like gel ice pack, which is so much cheaper. <laughs> So anyway, that's the, that's the long wind, winded answer, Sakana. Jeff Chambers, got to get pistol to shoot some B-roll. Yeah, yeah. I do need to get pistol in here again. Um, I want to go take some video of his new geodesic aquaponics system that he's built. I, I can't wait to do that. Terrence Blayton, once my 75-gallon is ready, ooh, I love that size tank. I will be buying all of your Emperor Gudgeons. Woo! I need to reestablish the first order. Cool. Um, I've got a lot of them, so that's going to be a big order. <laughs> I think there's at least 25 of them in there. I guess that's not a lot, but it's more Emperor Gudgeons than you usually see in one place in the United States. Yeah, they're, they're so amazing. I mean, they've really risen to the top of my fish list. They're just fantastic. Those... And the Burmese clouded archers, I just, I just love them both. They've, they're expensive fish, both of them, which is why I kind of hesitated for a long time to get my feet wet with them. But they're super hardy, and they're peaceful, and they're colorful, and they aren't picky. And like both those species have proven just to be a joy. I'm, I'm really, really liking them. Lol, Bob, did I miss a joke? Oh, I hate it when I miss jokes. Oh well. I'll, I'll read the chat later, I suppose. Chewy LTD, sorry you got in right on Killifish. I was interrupted by my roommate when I typed that. Oh, no worries. We all mistype. Would like to know more about the Killifish. Okay, yeah. So I do plan on doing a species profile video for each of those Killifish species I got. Hey, did Priscilla throw me money? Woo, thank you. Priscilla MKR throwing down five bucks. Dan the man. Hey, Priscilla, thanks. I, I still haven't appreci- I still haven't forgotten how you uh, helped me out when I was in a bind, uh, picking up fish in Denver. Jeez, 
how long ago is that now? A long time ago. But thanks again for everything you and your family did for me. Oh, I missed some super chat. Sorry. Little Mike Big L, thank you so much for all your help. $4.99. You are welcome, Little Mike Big L. Um, thanks for the super chat. And thanks for your comments and questions and being part of the community. Appreciate it. Oh, I, I don't know if you meant to do this, but it looks like you sent that to me twice. So, <laughs> so thanks for the uh, 998, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully you meant to do that, but if not, uh, I don't know if there's a way to reverse that or not, but thank you. All right. Lumpy dog, eat a Snickers bar. You become a fishmonger when you're hungry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Snickers, Twix. Twix sounds good right now. Am I overselling lumpy dog? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Ginger Graves, stupid pet smart fish. I know better than to buy them. I caved to the goldfish faces. Oh yeah. Yep. I've been there myself. I went in a while. Oh, it's been a while, but I went in and there were some cherry barbs and they were all fired up how they get when they want to breed. And I was just like, oh man, there's no way I can't not get those. <laughs> Took them home. And despite everything, I still lost half of them. But, um, but then the others bred. So it ended up being okay. 97 watching now. Ooh, ooh we're dropping like flies. <laughs> but that's still good for us. 97 is good for our little channel. Jim Smith, I got distracted on Get Gills. Your cobra endlers are beautiful. I know. I love them. Like, I, I've honestly, they're some of the, the best I've seen. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to sell them and stuff. They're awesome. I like them too. And I'm glad you do too. What, what I like most about them is they're pretty consistent. The tail shapes are a little bit different um, because to get that strain, they have to do crosses and things and it's hard to breed that out completely, but the color and pattern really consistent in that whole group. So that's why I like them. Your name here, copper like pennies. Um, no copper like copper safe from Mardell. It's chelated, which means that it's, it's freed in a way that allows it to actually be useful to the animal. Now, back in the day, people did use like copper pennies and copper pipe and stuff to treat fish, but there was no way to measure it. If you put a piece of copper pipe or a few copper pennies in an aquarium, you don't know how quickly that copper is being absorbed and all that. So that was a really precarious way to treat with copper, but they used to do it back in the day. Yeah. But we have much better ways to do it now. Get a, get a product that's chelated copper. Mardell copper safe is the one I usually use. But there's others out there. 44 Mad Guy 1. Hey, how's it going? I just ordered two African butterfly cichlids from you. Cool. Hoping to order four more at the end of the week. Awesome. I, I hope that, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. I really do think they're one of the most underrated cichlids out there. And they might be the best community cichlid there is. Um, they just don't go as aggro as some of the others. And they stay pretty small, about three inches tops. So, and they're pretty. Yeah. Anyway, I made a whole video about it. I won't go into it, but I'm glad you're getting them. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I hope you like them as much as I do. I think they're fantastic. Alien World Aquatics. Do you use salt to medicate? Yes, I use two cups of chorus rock salt per 30 gallons. 
this stuff. The cheap stuff you can get at like Home Depot. This is like four fifty, five bucks a bag, something like that for forty pounds. Don't mess with like aquarium salt. That's just that's just regular salt. Um, yeah. <laughs> Go big, go cheap. Yeah. So yes, salt's super useful. And here's what it does is it just makes it easier for the fish to keep homeostasis. So it makes it easier for the fish to fight off all the fresh water that tries to invade its body constantly. And then it can recoup that energy it would normally use to maintain homeostasis and put that into fighting the disease or resting up and overcoming. So Basically, by putting salt in the water with a fish, a freshwater fish, I don't know necessarily that salt kills diseases, but what it does do is takes a stress load off the fish, so the fish, the fish then has more energy to fight the disease off. So that's where I find salt useful. And I use it every time I get new fish in, pretty much, and I use it uh, every time I ship fish. When you get fish, so I have soft water and every now and then I'll get an email from someone who just received fish from me and they're like, dude, your TDS is off the charts. Yeah, it is. And that's because I put salt in my shipping water. Um, I, I fill a five gallon bucket with water and I put almost a quarter of a cup of salt in there. So that's why my, the salt, the, uh, the geez, I can't talk. The water in my aquarium's isn't hard. It doesn't have all that TDS because I don't put the salt in there. But when I ship, I do because I want to make the fish as successful as possible. And by taking off that workload for homeostasis, they can put more uh, energy into fighting off the stress of shipping. So yeah. Pernell Marshall, I had a positive result with Melifix Pima Fix for swords I received with bad fin rot. Cool. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Uh, Jamie McDonald, I've used Dr. Tim several times as long as you have ammonia to feed the bacteria. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, you can't fish the cycle without feeding the, the bacteria. Definitely. And that's half of what makes it a little precarious because if you miss a dosing or if you overdose like I think I did that one time, you can just throw the whole thing off and it's like, man, I've been waiting for, you know, a week, two weeks. If you're doing fishless cycle, the old fashioned way, six weeks. And now I screwed it up. Right. Alien world aquatics just found your channel tonight. Well, welcome. Glad you're here. What is your favorite type of fish to keep and least favorite? My favorite fish to keep are killifish. I love killifish there. I've been keeping them since I was a teenager. They're, one of the fish that got me into the hobby, the first egg layers I ever bred were killifish, and I just love them. I always have. Um, my least favorite to keep, uh, I don't keep my least favorite fishes, so I don't really know, but I think that it would have to be something like, what's a fish that I always cringe when I see it? There's a few. There's like iridescent sharks. Um there's big tinfoil barbs that are not in massive tanks, common plecos, things like that. Um, but it's usually not the fish itself. It's usually what the fish has been kept in. So I think there's a place for monster fish if you have a big enough tank. 
Now, now there are some fish that grow really large and swim really rapidly like an iridescent shark. And I don't think any hobbyist is probably going to have a tank big enough to house something that big and that active. But um, in general, I see fish and when I cringe, it's not because of the fish. It's because of what they're being kept in. Yeah, I'm going to leave it with that, I guess. Chewy LTD, one of the issues has been mentioned in hobbyists that one of the issues has been mentioned is hobbyists sometimes over quarantining their stock. Would you think that a good observation time period is better alternative than treating? Yes, it could be. The reason I medicate is because I'm importing. So I know what these fish have been through to get to me. And I know that if I don't prophylactically medicate, I'm going to have severe losses. That's been my experience. So that's why I do that. However, if I wasn't doing that and I was buying from someone reliable, then I might rethink how I did things and use like an observation period. Absolutely. It would be a long observation period. It would probably be a month or so before I would add that to my other tanks. And I would probably treat with um, some kind of external parasite medicines and things like that. Those aren't super harsh on the fish or anything. Um, and, and so they're easy to use and cheap and don't seem to really hurt anything. So why not? But as far as like antibiotics, I might hold off on the antibiotics and just observe, observe, sorry. Um, but I don't know. I, I'd have to play with it and see if that worked or see if I had lots of losses and go back to it or something. But yes, I don't think always medicating is the answer. I think observation, no matter what is the answer, whether you're medicating or not. And I think you could do it without medicating, but I would make sure it was a nice long observation period. Tampa Tom, can I sell used sponges from my hang on back filters on Get Gills? Sure, absolutely. So, um, Tampa Tom, there are, I would put it down here with aquarium supplies. And uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff here. Here's a, here's a scrubber, <laughs> here's a cartridge. Um, is, yeah, I think if I think there's people that might be interested in used hang on back uh, sponges if they were a good deal. Why not? Couldn't hurt. I see them all the time at like fish club auctions and things like that. The sponges are useful. I would go for it. I wouldn't expect to get a ton for them if they're used, but couldn't hurt. It'll help someone out. Okay. Mac of Dumenhall. I had Daniel Fry emerge in a tank. Cool. I set back up days after moving. Fishmas miracle. <laughs> what size before I can plug the hang on back with confidence that they don't get blended? I do have in tanks, in tanks, but. Jeez, I'm sorry, guys. Intake sponge. Okay. <laughs> I'm having trouble reading. Um, 
How big do I wait for my little Daniel Fry to get before I am safe to take off the intake intake sponge? Why can't I say that? Combination of words. Oh, I don't know. I guess I would say there's no rush to remove the sponge. I'd wait till they were till you looked at them and it was like there's no way that they could get hurt in that. Then I would remove it. Because what's the harm of the sponge, right? I mean, it's yeah. I guess that would be my answer. I wouldn't, I would hesitate to say a specific size. Um, I would just say when you look at that fish and you look at that intake and you're like, there's no way, then remove it if you need to. Sorry, I don't have a better answer. I mean, just, I don't, you know, without being there and like seeing how big the uh, gaps are in the intake and how skinny the little fry are and all that. I, yeah, I would just say, it's when it's super obvious. <laughs> Sorry, it's not very specific. Real stinks. New racks are done. Yeah. Awesome, real. That's exciting. I just counted and I have room for 10 more tanks. Getting close to my 3X tanks. Yep. Three times the number of tanks you currently have is the number you need for happiness and world peace. That's just how it works. 3X tanks equals happiness. <laughs> awesome, real. I'm glad to hear it's coming along. That's very exciting. That is super cool. Okay, I just got to Priscilla MKR's super chat. If you're wondering how far behind the chat I am, that's how far behind I am. Michael Wilson, temperature in bags today were 73 degrees Fahrenheit, outside temperature in the mid 80s. Okay, so that's good. So that's at least a 10 degree differential. Awesome. 73 degrees is kind of great for shipping fish. How about other people? Um, did anyone have super hot weather? And uh, what was it like for you? Sorry, it jumped on me. Here we go. And yes, I'm in live chat. Mike L, one super chat for you, one for Brenda. Ah, oh, thanks, Mike. Little Mike, big L, I appreciate it. <laughs> Terrence Blayton. So what do we tell our friends who think those of us who have multiple tanks who think those of us have multiple tanks and constantly buy fish. I've been told I need help. Am I okay? No, you have a, you have a sickness. You have a severe disease. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's nefarious. And it's hard to get rid of. You know, MTS is, is serious business. <laughs> of course you're okay. Because your friends are weird in their own way, right? Like, this is the way I'm weird. This is the way you're weird. We, we like have a lot of aquariums because we're super geeked about fish. But your friends have their thing. I don't know what it is. Maybe one's into CrossFit. Maybe one's into like super into like a foodie. Maybe one, you know, they've got their thing too. They're just as weird as you and me. They're just weird different. You're more than okay, man. You're more than okay. Jeff Koski, what is the best way to sell fish locally if you've never sold before and got tons of babies, social media, man. I mean, that's, that's what I would go to. I would go to social media and just get the word out. Craigslist. I've used Craigslist in the past. It worked fine. <laughs> we don't really have Craigslist in Wyoming, but in Los Angeles, it worked well. Um, there are tons of ways to do it through social media. That's what I would suggest. There's also local fish clubs. If you have one, you probably aren't going to move everything that way. 
but you can move a few, a few things that way. You can also go to your local fish store and see if they're interested. I would not expect to get much from that, but you might be able to do a trade for some food. They might pay you some cash. You know, it just depends on if they need what you're selling or not. Um, so, but if it was me, I would go straight to social media and I'd say, I've got all these. And if I was trying to sell a ton really fast, I would just liquidate them at a really, really good price. And that's what I do. Yeah. Lucky Pete, what is your suggestion for treating Popeye? Have seven Congo Tetras and one has Popeye. Um, for Popeye, so that's a little different than Cloudy Eye. With Cloudy Eye, my go-to would probably be erythromycin. For Popeye, when it's like big and bulging, kind of, well, popping out, <laughs> obviously, then I would go with uh, canamycin nitrofurazone. That would be the one I would start with. I would try that for, say, a week. If I didn't see improvement, I would switch and I'd probably switch to, I'd probably go to triple sulfa first. I'd try that for a week. And if that didn't work, then I'd switch to erythromycin. If that didn't work, I'd have to start digging and finding some other options. But um, I did help someone fairly recently that had a guppy that had an eye issue like that. And the trick for them, I believe, was nitrofurazone. And I can't remember if they used kenamycin in combination or not. But yeah. All right. Lucky Pete, what is your suggestion to treat Popeye? Sorry, just read that one. Uh, Bob Kaler, thanks for link, linking up the t-shirt link for Teespring if anyone wants a dance Fish t-shirt. Okay. I was up till uh, a little after 1 a.m. last night um, working through a new supplier's price list because I was super geeked and excited about it, so I couldn't go to bed. And then I had to get up this morning and it's been a long day and I've had little sleep. So I'm having trouble even just reading. Sorry about that. <laughs> let me, let me, let me slow down. Aquatics. Can you attain a Kaisis Vespa? Okay. I don't know if I can. Let's see what this is. I, I do not know. All right, everybody. Oh, that's cool. Which one is that? Is this the Burmese? Um, oh, they call it the orange banded hillstream catfish. There is something called the Burmese bumblebee that I've been seeing. I wonder if this is it. So is it more catfish or a hillstream loach? It's kind of like a catfish looking thing. So no, I've, um, this is a new one to me, unless that's what they are calling the Burmese um, bumblebee catfish. But I'll look more into it and keep an eye on it because that looks awesome. And if it doesn't get too big and, and all that, then I would consider looking at it. A lot of those fish though, a lot of kind of those, riffle fish or hillstream fish from places like Burma like it cooler. So I tend to purchase those during the fall and winter and spring. In the heat of the summer, this is the time of year when I wouldn't buy them. Like there was an awesome deal on rosy bitterlings this week. And I love rosy bitterlings. I have one. It needs friends. <laughs> um, but 
I mean, the deal was awesome. The price was right. The quantity was right. Everything was right, except for it's the middle of summer. And so I just passed. I, I tend to get fish like that in the cooler weather just because they're going to be shipped to me in the heat. They don't like the heat. It gets, yeah, it doesn't get super hot down here, but it can get warmer than they like down here during the, the few hottest weeks of the summer. So I'll keep an eye out for them, but I'll probably wait until the temperature changes before I would purchase something like that, just because it's better for the fish. Jeff Chambers, come do a killifish talk at Sack Aquarium Society. I'll tell Rich that we need you. Yeah, I know Rich Byerly. I've been to his place a few times uh, with Jim Forche. So yeah, tell Rich I'm game. I would love to do that. I have a place to stay there. My family's there. Jim's there. Like that's the club I grew up in. I love the Sacramento Aquarium Society. So I would be there in a flash, Jeff, if, if they wanted me. Patricia, hey, Patricia made one live. All right. That's awesome. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, no. Maybe she didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Priscilla, I think I was reading your name as the chat jumped and thought it was Patricia. I talked to Patricia recently and she was like, I'm going to try to make it. So I thought it was her. Sorry about that. Priscilla MKR, like that was like, okay, that was like before I started eating. Geez, it dance fish. Oh, meaning I'm way behind in the chat. Yeah, I know. I know. But I mean, I guess I could give like one word answer is like, yes, no, sure. But yeah, that's not interesting. That doesn't help anybody out. I'm way behind. I always will be. It's just how we roll here. Hang on. Lucky Pete throwing down a dollar. Hey, thanks, Lucky Pete. Thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated. Never required. But it does make my wife super happy when the money hits the counter. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm way behind. <laughs> Priscilla jabbing me. Jeff Chambers, I'm hoping in about six months to have to ask you about building a fish room, God willing. Yeah, please do. I'm here. I'm excited. I've built lots of fish rooms and I'm happy to help. And if you haven't looked yet, I've got a whole series of videos on building this facility. Um, it covers everything from the floor to the insulation, to the drainage system, to the stands, to the electrical, to the lighting, to the tanks, drilling the tanks, like the flow through system, everything. So if you need uh, some information or, or you're just like dreaming and you can't do it yet, but you want to, um, those might be helpful. <laughs> Jenny Lee, $9.99. Amen to that. Yes, MTS. I finally caught a live stream today. Glad you're here. And thanks for the super chat. Always appreciate it. Never required, but it's always nice to get money rolling in. Sending loves and hugs to all the fish fam. Heart. Thanks, Dan, for all the helpful, helpful information. I've been learning a lot. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for the super chat. Thanks for being here. And I'm glad you made it. And hopefully I didn't miss anyone's super chats. I'm so far behind that if your super chat came and went, and I didn't see it. I'm so sorry. I'm just way behind. Alien World Aquatics. I'm into drinking coffee and looking at my fish tank. Yes, of course. True LTD. Are those silver hatchet fish behind you? And are they easy to breed? Yes, these are silver hatchets. These are the only silver hatchets I know that don't... Um, 
<laughs> cling to the top surface of the aquarium. <laughs> they're they're always out and about. I like to think it's because they're comfortable. I, I don't know, but they seem to be doing well. I don't. I've never heard of anyone breeding um, hatchet fish. I don't know how it's done. I don't know anything about it, and I don't know anyone that does. So I think they're. I don't know if anyone's cracked that code yet, Chewy, but they're sure amazing fish, though. I really like them in a group. Um, the the tragic thing about hatchet fish is usually if you see them in a pet store or something, they might have like six at most a dozen, right? Hatchet fish live in these massive groups in the wild. They, they big old groups out kind of in pretty open water and they, they just are not comfortable unless there's a lot of them, like a dozen's the minimum, I would say. Um, 20 or more, you'll start seeing real hatchet fish behavior there'll be a ton of fun and they'll look better. So that's the thing about hatchet fish. Don't judge them on what you've seen. What you've seen is stressed out fish that probably are not kept in sufficient quantities. And so they're just skittish and hanging out. You get a group, they're a whole different animal. But no, I don't think they've been bred. I could be wrong, but I've never heard of it. Edward Rodriguez, are empire gudgeons compatible with lake... Uh, oh, with the Bosmanis? Yeah. Yeah. A Tinjo. I can, I can say it, but I can't read it. Rainbow Fish in a 65-gallon, 3-foot by 18 by 24. Ooh, footprint. Thanks. I would say that the Empire Gudgeons would be fine in that. Um, and the Bosmanis might be fine in that, too. You can keep Bosmanis in a 3-foot tank. If you have a 4-foot tank or better or bigger you might see better behavior from them. They are a rapid swimmer and they do get fairly decent size. I don't know if the Atinjos are like a dwarf version or not, but I'm thinking they're going to get four or five inches. Um, if they only get two, three inches, then you're probably, you're golden, I'm sure. But um, those larger rainbows, I'm not saying they can't go in a three foot. A lot of people keep them in a 40 breeder without any problem. That's a three foot tank. But I they do like to swim rapidly and fast. And, and so that's the only thing I would say about putting those in there. The gudgeons will be fine. They, they don't swim rapid and fast. They kind of pick a spot, hang out, go to the next spot, hang out, swim around. They're not like a rapid distance back and forth swimmer. Those are my thoughts on that, Edward. I'm not saying it can't be done. Um, I'm just saying be aware of that. You'll often see rainbow fish that have kind of their damage on their lips. And it's just because they're such rapid swimmers. If they don't have adequate swimming space, and sometimes even if they do, they can damage their lip when they run into stuff. Sakana Katana just checked my mail and got my shipment. Cool. Box felt like room temperature. Okay, cool. That's good. That's good. I'm assuming that's a lot cooler than it was outside. But I uh, hope everyone made it okay. Hope they did well. Oh, I have a question. This brings up a point. I had someone email me today saying that they got the, they bought fricata rainbows from me. They bought a dozen of them and they arrived in good shape. They put them in their tank and then some of them started like gasping at the surface right away. And they've lost, I think, eight of the 12 since, since they got them maybe last week, I think. Um, 
they did say they're running CO2. So I automatically wonder if that's an issue. But my question is, anyone else that's got fricadas from me, have you had a problem or have they all been fine kind of long term? Um, because I'm sincerely asking because if other people are having problems with them, I want to know that because then I know I need to change something on my end. If this is just a singular case, then I'm going to I'm going to do my best to help the customer troubleshoot what happened in their tank um, so they don't have further problems. But I, I just want to know if you've got fricata rainbows from me, are they good long term or are you having problems? Like, I don't want to be the guy that you get fish. Well, I don't want to be the guy that you get fish and they're dead and sick. That's for sure. But I also don't want to be the guy that you get fish from me. They look good. And then a few days later, they're dead. So if that's happening with the fricadas, please let me know because then I know it's on my end. Whereas if it's not happening, then I know it's probably not on my end. We need to troubleshoot that aquarium. That would be helpful to know. Thank you. And you can do it here in the chat um, if you highlight my name so I see it or you can shoot me an email, Dan at Dance Fish, however you want. Um, but I'd like to know so I kind of know how to approach the situation. Super chats are pouring in. No way. Woo. Thanks, guys. This is great. And gals. Terrence Blayton, please take it. Just take it. Take all of it. <laughs> Don't argue with me. Here you go. <laughs> hey, I have a new pair of... Funnel Panchax Achilles. The female is pretty fat. Is she possibly pregnant? Yes. In fact, if she's mature, if she's sexually mature, she's pregnant. Um, not pregnant because they don't, you know, incubate the eggs in their belly like live bears, but she's got eggs. Killifish reproduce pretty much constantly. As soon as they're sexually mature, they start producing eggs and they're a continual spawner. So unless the environment something happens that prevents them from doing so, they're probably going to have eggs constantly pretty much up until they get super old and pass away. So if she's sexually mature and she's in good condition and she's in her environments, right, then yes, she's got eggs and she's going to probably lay a few a day, sometimes a lot a day. Yeah. Congrats. Those are awesome. I like any pan, any uh, fun little pan checks. Ginger Graves, thanks for the advice. I already have a bare bones quarantine tank. Good. FYI, all my dance fish are doing great. I love my Cochina and Embellus, but it's good. I'm glad to hear it. Ginger, I'm so glad. Um, those wild type bettas, I'm always happy when, when someone has success with them just because their reputation is so like that they're fragile and hard and stuff. And I just haven't found that to be the case. So anytime I can prove that wrong, it makes me super happy. Jeff Chambers, 10 bucks. Woo! It's raining tonight. Thanks everybody. Super chats are always so appreciated. They're never required, but they do make the wife super happy. No questions. Thanks for all your amazing knowledge, Dan. Well, Jeff, thanks for the amazing super chat. And and thanks for being here and just having questions and comments and helping make this uh, a lively community. I appreciate that as well. Okay. Um, Sakana Kata. Oh, wait, I already read that one. Jeff Koski. What I have is 50 plus bristle nose. Woo. The dad is a super red. The mom is an albino long fin. 50 plus bristle nose. That's a lot of poop, man. 
That is a lot of poop. <laughs> Every time I think of like a large number number of bristle nose, I just think of sewage treatment plants. <laughs> it's just so much poop. <laughs> um, Dr. S. Experimentus, great to see you again. Dang, almost 100 views and at 100 likes. Yeah, we were doing good. We're down to 83 now, but... I have a habit of chasing people away. <laughs> no, we're doing good. The little channel's growing. Um, and I mean, half of it's probably because Corey's not streaming tonight. If he was streaming, we'd have a lot less, but that's fine. I mean, I, I watch his live streams when I can. And when I can't, I watch his replays. So it's not a big deal, but yeah, we're doing good tonight for sure. Dean's fish room. Hi. First time tuning in Dean's fish room. So glad to have you here. Thanks for being here, Dean. Awesome to have you in the chat. All right. Hang on, it jumped on me again. Jeez. Okay, I caught it. We're back, we're back. There it is, Patricia Clopel. You're way behind, I'm here. All right, good to see you, glad you made it. Awesome. I'm so glad you made it. Chewy LTD. How are the swordtail fry and have you seen any hyphen liar tail show a koi swordtail? So the swordtail fry are doing awesome. Um, I'm sorry I missed the update video this last week, but this last Friday, I try to do one every Friday on the fry, but you'll get one this Friday for sure. They're big. A good percentage of them appear to have hyphens developing and there's also appears to be a certain percentage that are like balloon. So somewhere in the genes, there must have been some balloon going on. Either that or I'm wrong. But I mean, they, they are still young, but it looks like it to me. So I don't know. I think we're going to have uh, normals, hyphens, balloons, and balloon hyphens all come out of this batch of red-eyed red hyphen swordtails. But they're doing fantastic. I'm excited because I want to get a, a group, a source going for those that are bred in the United States instead of having to import them from China constantly. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. TM Aquatics, glad you're here, TM. Good to see you. Glad you made it. Priscilla MKR, I have a ton of Empire Gudgeons at my store, like in random tanks. No one ever sees them. Let me know if you need any. Cool. Yeah. Do you like them as much as I do? I, I just think they're fantastic. No one sees them. Are they not like out and about? Yeah, mine are, in my experience, they're pretty bold fish if they have like dithers and stuff. Well, I also am keeping them in a big group. So if they're spread out, maybe not as much, but yeah. Patricia, you're blind today. Yeah, did I, I, I skipped you? I'm sorry. True LTD. Since many hobbyists are getting into Australian gudgeons, have you thought of ordering fish directly out of Australia? Oh, yeah, I've dreamed about it. Unfortunately, Australia has severe bans on fish going in and out of their borders. So, yeah, that's like a that's like a pipe dream of mine to be able to get fish out of Australia. But as far as I know, it cannot be done like they are. They're pretty much closed off to wildlife exiting almost closed off to wildlife entering. There's very a lot less species available for them than there are for us because they have lots of bans and procedures and things that we don't have that make it harder to get fish into the country. 
So Australian hobbyists, I think, are pretty jealous of what we can bring in. And then we're jealous of them because in their backyard, they can go collect rainbows and gudgeons and all kinds of neat stuff. But yeah, no, I, I don't think it can be done at this time. I don't think we can get fish out of Australia. But yeah, I dream about it. I just don't think it's possible. 44 Mad Guy 1, did you say whether you knew if the sex of the African butterfly cichlid, I cannot sex them at this size. What I can do is try to pick some of the bigger ones and some of the smaller ones and send them. And then there's a better chance that the bigger ones are males and the smaller ones are females. But no, I cannot accurately sex them like at all at this size. Kayla's Aquatics, $50. Thank you so much, Bob. Always, always appreciated. Great stream today. Thanks for the surprise box today. You're welcome. I hope you liked it. Uh, no more professor, fish warehouse. Yeah. So Bob's always saying in his videos, send money and candy. So I send him some money and candy. <laughs> I've been meaning to do it for a while. Finally did it. <laughs> Okay, where are we at? Ginger Grays, my wild type bettas are easier to keep than the betta splendens that I have are. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Yep. I think with wild type bettas and stuff and killies as well, uh, you have to be prepared for velvet. As long as you're prepared for velvet, and I'm not saying they're going to get it, but they're more likely to get it than lots of other fish. Um, if you're prepared for that, then I think, think you're good to go if your water parameters are good. And by that, I just mean chemically clean. I don't mean like soft and acidic even. Like they do well in hard water if it's clean. 44 Mad Guy 1, did you say whether, oh wait, sorry. Carbon Real, hey, Carbon Really glad you made it. Good night. We'll catch you later. Edward Rodriguez, Lake and Tinjo are the smaller rainbow with darker color. My Fricatus order did fine even after USPS delivered one day late. I'm glad they did fine. They're still under observation close to one month now. Okay, so your fricatas did well. See, Tinjo are smaller, so maybe they would be, maybe like the three-foot tank would be plenty for them. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just saying just, just be aware of that. They're rapid, strong swimmers. Oh, did I catch up? No way. I pretty much caught up. 44 Mad Guy 1. Okay, thanks. Just wondering. You're welcome. Jeff Chambers. Have Gary Lang throw some Australian rainbows in his carry-on next time he goes. Yep, that's right. That's right. Easy peasy. <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs> Speaking of Gary Lang, I have um, <laughs> I have a few Gary Lang strain emerald rainbows coming. They should be here tomorrow. Um, I think five of them. Hopefully they make the trip okay. But I'm pretty excited about that to get some of his strain. That's exciting for me. Mile High Plecos. Hey, Mikey. Glad you made it. Yo, yo, yo. I'm at work just popping in to say hi. Well, hey, right back. So glad to see you. Glad you could make it. All right. Um, we've reached the bottom of the chat and it's 9.50. So we're probably about to shut this sucker down. If you have a question or comment that you want me to get to, now's the time. Throw it down now. Um, if nothing comes in in the next couple of minutes, we'll shut down. If stuff does come in, we'll get through those real quick and then and then shut it down. But um, thanks for being here, everybody. As always, I want to thank anyone that super chatted. It's never required, of course, but it's helpful for sure. And 
every bit super helpful and much appreciated. So please know how much I appreciate that. Um, everyone that just asked questions and put out comments and stuff to make this kind of lively and interesting. Thanks for participating. Uh, thanks for being part of the community. I appreciate that. And all you mods, thanks so much. I, I always feel guilty that I, mods come and just do this and, and like, I don't pay them a whole lot. Like I, I really think that they do a valuable service. I appreciate all you guys, all four of you. Thanks so much. Um, and of course, all you lurkers, respect. Priscilla MKR, scroll up to see my comment about the gudgeons. Oh, I thought I did. I'm sorry. Oh, it wasn't highlighted. Cool, I see it now. Priscilla MKR, the tanks are big. There are six in a 75, but with 100 Priscilla Tetras, 100 Dwarf Neon Rainbows, people do not pay attention. I get it. They stand in front of the Cardinal take and ask, do you have Cardinals? <laughs> That's funny. I love that. That says it all. That's like the best quote of the life of like a fish store worker. I could see that like a, a, a far side comic almost. All these Cardinal Tetras. Do you have any cardinals? And they're just like glowing in back of them. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I hear you. It's a big tank full of other fish, so they get they don't see them in there. Yeah. Bearded Bob's Fish Room. What's a natural way to get rid of Hydra? Um, a natural way. Well, one is don't feed. So Hydra eats small live stuff like baby brine shrimp. So deprive them of food. Um, I've heard of a few fish that eat them. Just can't remember what. I think, I think like your standard blue, gold, opaline kind of Crosby Garamis, from what I remember, might do it. You know what? I'd have to look into it, but I know that there are some fish. Well, I've heard, I don't know because I've never tried it. Supposedly, there's some fish out there that are good at eating Hydra. Um, I just don't remember which ones. I'm sorry. I always use some like flubendazole or fenbendazole and it, it tends to work. Or copper. Copper kills them real quick. Little Mike Big L. Doing a mini pond breeding guppies. That sounds fun. Temps fluctuate 10 to 20 degrees. When is it dangerous? Um, that's a little hard to answer, Mike, because different strains of guppies have different tolerances. So like your little wild type kind of feeder guppies have a pretty wide tolerance some of your real fancy strains have probably been kept at like 82 to 86 their entire lives for many generations. So it's a bit of a, not all guppies can take the same range. So I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Let's see here, what's the best answer? I think that if they're introduced to it gradually, like you put them in, they're in there all summer and then it starts cooling off, that they can probably get down to like the, I'm going to guess the mid 60s without too much trouble when it starts getting down there is when I would probably bring them in. And as far as how hot can they go, that depends on how much aeration's in there and, and stuff like that to keep oxygen saturation high. I would definitely put them in a shaded location where they don't get direct sun and don't boil. Um, but I mean, 
on the hottest days, if there was good aeration and things like that to keep the oxygen saturation up, I'm guessing you could peak up to the high 80s. I, I want to say 90, but I don't want to kill your fish. I personally would would probably let them get up to the mid to upper 80s before I really started to to really pay close attention and see if they were stressed or something like that. Those are my thoughts. But I want to qualify that by saying I, I haven't done – there's so many strains of guppies and stuff. I've kept guppies outside in ponds, but um, not like tons of different kinds. So it really does depend on the strain you have and what they're used to. Lumpy Dog, my fricatas arrived great, acclimated great, and are still doing well. Community breeding and planted tanks. Okay, so that's two for doing good long term. 54 Mag Guy, one. No question. You are awesome. Thanks for the help and the stream. Oh, thanks, 44 Mag Guy, one. I appreciate that. Thanks for the compliment. Medina Aquatics, just jumped in to say hi. Hi! Dan, you have become my go to seller for my aquarium fish. Other than Tanganyika cichlids. Hint, hint, yeah. Well, thanks for being a loyal customer. I appreciate that. Hope I can always deserve that loyalty. I'll work really hard to do that. And Tanganyikans, one day. But my water is really soft. And until I can get a facility that uh, I can create water more to their liking, I just, I just don't feel justified doing it, even though I like those fish a ton. I don't want to put them in something they aren't going to be totally happy in. So hopefully when the, there is a plan with the expansion, say expansion number 3.0 or so to make a facility for hard water cichlids and other hard water kind of warmer water fish. So I do hope to get that, but it won't be, it won't be real soon just because I, I just don't have the right setup for them. Marcio Mora, yep, garamis, cool. Garamis apparently eat hydra. I got a second on that. So at least two of us think that that happens. <laughs> Terrence Blayton, stoked. I made this stream without being late. All right, I didn't have to send you to the principal's office. Well, we're improving, Terrence. <laughs> Looking forward to buying all your empires and taking over the galaxy. Take care. Yep, the Death Star Aquarium. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're serious about that, let me know. Um, if you're going to buy a large number of them, just send me an email and I'll, I'll work out a deal with you. Um, that'd be awesome. That'd be an amazing sale for my store. <laughs> Pal Joey. Pal Joey, it is so good to see you again. 1957. Welcome. Welcome back. Old Forester, 1920, Kentucky Bergen Whiskey. What? This ain't the bourbon group. Sorry. Good night, boys. <laughs> he came. He went. Then he drank. Bearded Bob's Fish Room. Bye. I'm out. Have a great night and thanks for the stream. Okay, you're welcome. I think we're going to cut it there. Thanks again, everybody, for being here. Shout outs to you all. We'll do this again next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.